in. Well, thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. Uh, I am Jamie. I'm here with Dean. Jerry is off this week. And Adam will be in shortly to recap the September Blu-ray releases. Now that we got that all straightened out, <laughs> all the introductions have been made. Yeah. Uh, you know what starts tonight? We're taping Sunday, October 2nd. What starts tonight is Westworld which is uh, one of the most uh, hugely ambitious shows that HBO has ever undertaken, probably since something like Rome or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But powerhouse talent behind this, a lot of money behind it. But uh, generally, the reviews have been very positive for the most part, talking about the ambition of the thing and the the incredible look of it. So uh, I'm I'm positive. Are you going to watch it tonight? I'm definitely going to watch it, I mean, for sure. I've been impressed by the reviews uh, and the uh, you know the sort of revelation that uh, it's of course radically different from the Michael Crichton movie in that uh, now it's the robots we're kind of rooting for uh, because right. they're so horribly horribly uh, uh, horribly treated. And they're, I guess, they're getting to the point of, uh, you know, sentience in some way. So, uh, so I like that. I, I think that's that's enough to hang an entire series on. You know, that's an interesting subject. Yeah, and that cast, man, my God, Anthony Hopkins and Rachel Evan Wood and Ed Harris and good stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Should be exciting. Crazy. I, I hope. It's, uh, anyway, I hope it's a success. One uh, TV series of sorts that hasn't had good notices, you've actually seen a lot of. And that's yeah. the Woody Allen Amazon uh, show. Yeah, Crisis in Six Scenes, which is a pretty, pretty apt title. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, our friend uh, Jason Miller always tells me, he says, uh, He's a huge Woody Allen fan. He says, you know, you're going to miss him when he's gone. <laughs> he says that to sort of admonish me for for not uh, really appreciating his work uh, these days. But, you know, I can't help it. It's This this particular piece, is even I guess if you're a Woody Allen fan, you'll probably love it because it's got a lot of, I mean, it stars Woody Allen and Elaine May as uh, two sort of, Square uh, suburban New Yorkers. Uh, I think they're in New York uh, in the '60s, dealing with a, uh, a a girl that's interrupted their lives. The girl's played by, believe it or not, Miley Cyrus, who's not bad. And uh, uh, anyway, she she comes in with her radical. Uh, uh, radical ideas and actions, and sort of disrupts their lives. It's a uh, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty musty kind of uh, story. It feels <clears throat> uh, it's hard to get through. It really is. I mean, like it's not very funny. Um, sometimes Woody Allen enlivens it with because uh, he's const- he's doing his his sort of like. Uh, one inch away from meltdown kind of routine, and uh, he's uh, he's good at that. And so sometimes sometimes it comes alive, but generally it feels like it's just filled with cliches and and 
and again, it's it's not it's not most of the time it's not very funny. Uh, it it feels like something that that should be better, considering that you know he was there, <laughs> you know, back in the sixties, uh, cognizant of that time, and but it it feels like anachronistic too. It doesn't doesn't really feel like it's in the sixties, and uh, I don't know. I just it's it's tough going. I'm in the third episode now, and there's six. Well, episodes. the um, it's that's too bad because he and Elaine May were hysterical together in Small Time Crooks. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the. I think that's actually one of the funniest Woody Allen movies. And then you had Tracy Ullman in the mix as well. And I've always liked Small Time Crooks. <laughs> And when he, yeah, when he gets I've only rich, seen it that one. When he gets rich so. and he's and, and oh god, you gotta see it again. And, and Tracy Ullman decorates her home with like the gaudiest stuff when they get rich from the cookie business, like a harp and and uh, Woody Allen is like dressed in bright yellow and all like our city hall at the time or something. It's hysterical. Uh, movie. Uh, maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll give that a shot again. I wasn't a huge fan of that when that came out either, though. <laughs> so. That's why I haven't yeah, come I back to it. Some of the some of the best one liners of that movie. I, I don't know about Woody Allen. I, I mean, he set himself. I don't know if he set himself up for failure with this, or if he knew it would be a failure, so he was padding it. When he said, as soon as he signed the dotted line to make the series, he said, "Oh God, I I dread having to do this. I just want to be over with. Why did I agree to do this?" Well, I don't know why you know he's dreading it. I mean, every it, review. It's you know the thing is he hasn't he hasn't altered his style one iota for television. It's basically like a two hour, you know, each episode is like twenty seven minutes, so you do the math six times. So it's basically like a two and a half hour Woody Allen movie cut into six pieces. There's no sense of that typical uh, television rhythm. It's just when it cuts to 27 minutes, it goes off. <laughs> and then it comes back on exactly at that point uh, in the next episode. So it's not, uh, he's not altering his style at all uh, for the, uh, for TV or anything. It's just, so he, he, he need, all he needed to do was take out a, take out a script from what I imagine is a tremendous, uh, file cabinet of old scripts uh, and dust it off and beef it up a little bit and you know he's got it so I mean uh, you know he he needn't have been worried really what he needs to worry about is the quality of his <laughs> the quality of his work in general which again I I reiterate that I think that he needs to take a vacation Yeah, but, but once you get yeah. his age, I mean, a vacation might be it, you know. I I, I understand that. Uh, yes. Uh, Where should he have stopped? Where should he have stopped? If 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 he were to have made his last movie already, what movie would you like that to have been? <laughs> well, the best one uh, of recent times. I'd like to end on an up note with uh, with with Blue Jasmine uh, in terms of quality, at least. Not uh, if not yeah. you know emotion, but uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I I would have preferred him to stop 
stuff back in like 1991, I guess. Really. Uh, so my image of him is somebody who. <laughs> my image of him is somebody who just couldn't do any wrong, wouldn't be sullied. Uh, so, but uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's. Yeah, guess but it's, but then you don't you don't have Blue Jasmine and you don't have Vicky Christina and you don't have uh, some really truly really wonderful movies that he's made and the but. He, but he, I, he is yeah. more he he is more missed than hit now. I, mean, I was no I remember I started saying that he should take a vacation right around the time of uh, everybody says I love you. Uh, I just I just I I'm just talking about a year, you know. Just but right. uh, I I I don't think he wants to. I just think he likes this routine. And uh, if if he doesn't keep busy, he doesn't know who he is. I think mm. so. Uh, but so it's essentially he's using the audience as therapy. Yeah, to keep him alive. Yeah, and the movie making <laughs> process. And I think that connects him. That keeps him connected with people too. Because if I think he, maybe if he's left to his own devices, he just stays 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 in his apartment yeah. or something. And, Maybe goes out for egg salad or something every once in a while, but like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that he would, you know, uh, commune with very many people if he was left to, left to himself, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons he keeps doing it. I have to give him credit, by the way. He does. He always, you know, one thing he's never failed at is he's always working with interesting people. He always puts mm-hmm. puts together interesting casts that are surprising, and they're oh wow, Louis C.K. is in a, <laughs> in a Woody Allen movie or whatever, you know, Andrew Dice Clay or I don't know. He's just he's he's very uh, um, I, I guess ecumenical if, if that's the word for when he's like he, he doesn't make a lot of judgments on people's careers in terms of. Uh, if they're right for the role, he's fine with it, and I think he. And you I don't get, gets, and you don't get a you don't get a sense that it's a calculated effort to revitalize someone's persona or someone's career that might be on the downturn. You know how some uh-huh. directors might do that. You yeah. don't get a sense of that from Woody Allen. He just casts them because you know, I think he's interesting for the part. And many times, I think the bulk of that credit goes to his casting director who's been with him forever. Because yes. I think in most of these instances, Woody Allen doesn't even know who the hell these people are. Like, he <laughs> has to be told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would, uh, you know, Miley Cyrus, for instance, you know, you think, can you imagine him sitting and watching a Miley Cyrus video? Oh, her. No, of course not. So, I think you're right. I never thought about watch- that. Maybe his kids watched Hannah Montana when they were younger or something. I don't, I don't know. But uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, you saw The Shallows, that, uh, yeah. which, which has been called one of the best horror films of the year. And uh, I would agree with it, actually. <laughs> I was surprised. I was surprised how much I I liked it. Uh, it was uh, creatively filmed. Um, it, it was exciting. Blake Lively's very good at it. It's just a... You know, a, a very, you know, solid shark movie. Um, I think it falls down a little bit in its climax. It, it gets a little uh, ridiculous. Um, but I feel like they kind of painted themselves into a corner in terms of putting her in, in jeopardy. 
and uh, maybe they didn't know how to get out of it, so they had to go to the ridiculous. But um, but in general, I, I really really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, I thought it was a tight piece. Very good. Speaking of tight, speaking of tight piece, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to happen when I said that those two words. Uh, she's she's great in it. I mean, she's she's really really good. Um, Is it a movie that she has to carry? Like she has to hold together? Yeah, she. I mean, she does. She does a, a very, you know. I mean, she's only hitting. You know, they they actually do find room for her to hit a, a number of uh, you know emotional notes other than other than panic and. You know, resolve, uh, and uh, I, you know, I think uh, I think it's just a good, good, solid, you know, Saturday night kind of uh, actiony sort of thriller piece. You know, uh, I, I have have a hard time calling it a horror movie, but uh, but I guess if you're going to consider Jaws a horror movie, which a lot of people do, then I guess it is. But um, but I I really liked it. Then last night, by the way, I watched on Amazon Prime. This was crazy. After we watched that, we watched uh, um, this old 1956 horror film called uh, The Black Sleep that I'd never heard of. <clears throat> and I turned it on. It's it's not it's it's not great. It's real talky, like a lot of those 50s horror films are. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, uh, but the thing about it that that really makes it interesting is its cast. It's got uh, Basil Rathbone, Bella Lugosi, in a in a role where he, he doesn't speak. Uh, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. also in a role where they, he doesn't speak because both of those guys were either drunk or 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 on drugs, so they didn't give him any lines to screw up. Uh, Akim Tamirov, who was also kind of a quasi horror figure, um, John Carradine, also a quasi horror figure, and Tor Johnson is in it, <laughs> which is you know the white eyed Tor Johnson that I, I thought was only in uh, things like Plan Nine from Outer Space and Bride of the Monster. I mean, I know he did other movies, but. Uh, I've just never seen that white-eyed Tor Johnson in other Do you think movies. Bella Lugosi got him in there? Yeah, probably. Why don't you do a horror part? Yeah. <laughs> probably. Because uh, 56, you know, you figure figure that's the time period. Uh, it's a lot better than, you know, <clears throat> at least in terms of, you know, visual quality. It's uh, a lot better than your average Ed Wood movie. Um, uh, but not I much better. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, they get with fate praise. Uh, you know, yeah. the thing is, you know, the, the the reason I would say watch it for horror fans is because you know when you you get a few, especially in the last third of it, you get shots that have all five of these guys in it. You know, and you're like, wow, this is crazy. This yeah. this is like a. I'm surprised I've never heard about it. So. Well, uh, Turner Classic Movies, it's it's horror month, of course, because it's October. Turner Classic Movies is devoting all of its program in a, programming in October to horror movies. Uh, and you can see their complete uh, lineup on our Twitter page. It's linked to it. 
So, so all uh, their programming? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. If you look at their lineup, it looks uh, like they don't have room for anything else. Wow. Um, morning, day, and night. So uh, speaking of horror, let's see what horrors await us in the latest Blu-ray roundup from Adam. Hey, Adam. <laughs> How's it going? I love that... Uh... I love that intro, man. I, I, that was awesome. smooth. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So anyway, so how are you guys? Pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Well, doing okay. Busy as usual. You know, with the if it's not the movie stuff, it's the DJ stuff. You know, doing some mm-hmm. gigs here, there, and the other. Had a fun political fundraiser last night that uh, kept me going for a little while, and uh, so. You know, it. Uh, but it, I'm trying to stay on top of it. It's it's not easy when you're getting, you know, which I'm lucky. I, I received the review copy of the Decalogue, but when that's like 11 hours and you <laughs> haven't, yeah, and that's a, that's a it's good, but it, uh, it's a. Uh, I, I haven't seen it all. Uh, I've only mm-hmm. seen like three or four pieces of it, but yeah. uh, it's it's just as brilliant as all the other Kislovsky out there. It is, it is, but we'll get to that later. I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, anyway, but if you guys want to dive on in, we can do it. I wanted to ask something. Uh, sure. You, you saw the new Tim Burton, didn't you? I did, yeah, I saw Miss it. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Ch- <laughs> yeah. Children. So, what did I you think of we- that? Yeah, I saw it two weeks ago, actually. I, I thought it was, um, it, you know, you just feel like um, his heart's not in it. Tim Burton. It's it's like the Snowden film, you know, because you just feel like you're, you're sitting there the whole time thinking of the past glories of these guys like Oliver Stone and Tim Burton. And I know we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't, you know, necessarily base their latest work on something they've done in the past. But it's so hard not to do that when you know what they're capable of, and and you just feel like you're watching it, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of entertaining. Uh, but it's one of those movies where you feel like uh, they're trying so hard to cram every single conceivable element of the book's plot into the film that during the last half hour of the movie, it's just like they're shoehorning everything in there. You can almost feel the flop sweat coming out of the screen, coming off the screenwriter. Mm. <laughs> you wow. feel it dripping onto the. It's like, oh, we got to get this in there. Oh, we got to get you know, and it's that kind of frantic. Uh, you know, you don't just, you don't necessarily have to put every element in there. Uh, you know, so but the I guess this effects, is how, like, uh, yeah. you know, like Harry Potter and so forth has really changed the changed the industry in that, uh, and and certainly like Hunger Games and all that stuff. Yeah, is is you know, I mean, in order to in order to uh, I guess kind of escape any kind of criticism that the fans might have, they they feel a real pressure to include everything in a movie, right? Now. Uh, and. Uh, it makes you wonder, like, why don't they just do it as a TV series? Then, if they just can't, if they just can't do it as a movie, why not just do it yeah. as a TV series instead? You know, like a Harry Potter TV series would have been huge. Yeah, it's it, that that probably would have worked better for this thing, you know. But I mean, there's you know, I, lo- I love seeing Terrence Stamp in anything. You know, it was nice to have him in there, and uh, you know, some of the uh, I thought the CGI was really nice uh for some of the the creations of the actual peculiar children some of that was pretty inventive it's some of the best use of cgi i've seen in a while and i'm not a big fan of computer generated effects but 
you know, in this case, it worked. Uh, mm. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. It's just, uh, you, you know, it is what it is. But it's not terrible though. Uh. No, it's but uh, you know, it's saying something when you when I enjoyed Masterminds as much as I enjoyed <laughs> Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Ooh. <laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, in our neck of the woods, we have a we actually have a, a connection to that story. I know, you know, it happened. the The house that they bought with the money is five minutes from where I live. Okay. So, <laughs> so that gives you. And I did home deliveries back in the day when this took place. I actually delivered to that house. So the guy that Owen Wilson plays in the film, uh, I actually delivered a TV to that guy. So in real life, so it was kind of. But uh, I laughed a lot. I got to I got to be honest with you. It was uh, it, it was it was interesting, and, were, and, and uh, I tended. Go ahead. Yeah. You were a drug. You were uh, a drug dealer at that time, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Making home deliveries. Well, of the television. Or a gigolo. Variety. I forget which one. A gigolo or a drug dealer. I forget. <laughs> Actually, in this case, it was a 32-inch Panasonic television set. If memory serves me correct, but uh, <laughs> but no, it was. It. Yes. But it was it was funny because uh, at the screening, the guy who wrote the book that it's based on, who actually covered the story for the Charlotte Observer, which is our local paper, is our big paper out of Charlotte. Uh, he sat directly behind me, so I was able to get some feedback from him, you know, after the film, and he gave me a copy of his book that that he wrote about it, which was published. You know, a while back, and that that was kind of interesting. So, uh, but not uh, not not a bad film per se. But they just play up the broad comedy so high. It's pitched, you know, it's turned into a gross out comedy. But some of the laughs are pretty good. I will admit, they're I laughed out loud more than once. So, mixed bag though. So there you go. Okay. All right. Yeah, but uh, en- enough of all that. So let's, let's get on to uh, what are we covering? September. Uh, yeah, September. Yeah, mm. starting with the sixth. Uh, we'll um, somehow I think Mill Creek has managed to uh, get the rights to some of these Hammer films, and they've done two uh, Blu-ray double feature uh, editions of classic Hammer films. So one uh, one of the uh, collections has the Two Faces of Doctor Jekyll and the Gorgon on one mm. disc, and the other one has The Revenge of Frankenstein and The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb on the same disc. So, Are any of those, like, do they ha- are, do those have, you know, like the Hammer, the established Hammer stars, like Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing or anybody? It seems to me that they don't. Yeah, Revenge of Frankenstein has uh, Michael Ripper, Peter Cushing, um uh, it's directed by Terrence Fisher, of course, who directed many of those uh, Hammer oh, productions. And the Gorgon has Chris Riley and Peter Cushing too. So. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's some of the stalwart, uh, the 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 regular cast that you would expect from these Hammer productions. It's you know they're there. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So if you're fans of Hammer, it's it's kind of good to see them release some things that are not centered around Dracula or. Yeah, you know, because you get so many of those, it's it's good to see them dig into the hammer bolts and do some something different. But yes, I agree. anyway, yeah. So uh, Warner Brothers issued the Iron Giant Signature Edition, which uh, I did not get 
chance to look at it. So have you guys looked at it? It's with the extra footage and whatnot. And I haven't, but I, but I mean, how much do they add to it? Do you know? Like, I think it's about uh, it's around seven minutes or something like that. I hmm. I think it's stuff that Brad Bird really wanted to include you know it was very important for him to get and they just didn't get it finished in time or something i mm. think but i heard it's beautiful though the uh if you're a fan of the movie I, i've been told by some colleagues who've gotten review copies of it that it's just outstanding as far as the transfer and all i love that. that movie yeah so if you're a fan i would say go and get it and it's very uh, inexpensive i mean the, the, the retail is like 9.99 and you know on some of the retailers online you can get it for about eight bucks or something so uh, oh that's well good I, I think we'll, we might do, get that because uh that yeah. is a beautiful that's just a, a beautiful movie one of the I, best I, I definitely uh i definitely think that uh you know it's 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 worth picking up if you're a fan of course and uh uh, and we'll go through some of the other titles. These are all from uh, September the 6th. And um, so also on that date, um, we had, um, uh, let's see, just lost my place. <laughs> <laughs> I can <laughs> tell. I hate, I hate when that I've happens. never seen that. What is that? What is that? <laughs> I lost my place. It's an old Jackie Gleason comedy. It's an old Jackie Gleason comedy. So, uh, <laughs> uh, actually, um, Haunted Honeymoon is one of the titles that uh, was issued uh, by Kino. And this was not specifically timed for, as a way for them to cash in on Gene Wilder's passing. This was planned earlier, and it just coincidentally worked out where they were able to move it up a week or something and so they issued that and the adventures of sherlock holmes or the adventure of sherlock holmes smarter brothers so both of those came out from kino and uh i'd never seen sherlock holmes smarter brother until uh they i got the the review copy and it's actually it's it's hit and miss but it's you know it's that unique sense of humor that gene wilder had it's very evident there and you i think it was a directorial debut and a lot of the uh, people that were in Young Frankenstein, or you know, there's even you can hear Mel Brooks doing a voice. Uh, he doesn't appear on screen, but you can hear his voice in one scene. And then, of course, there's Marty Feldman and Madeline Kahn, and you know all that. So, um, I love Madeline Kahn. Uh, she might be a reason alone to watch it. Yeah, it's it's worth seeing. It is. Uh, there's there, like I said, there's a couple but laugh out. I line can't on. see myself watching Haunted Honeymoon. I just no. you know, that one I that one I can easily miss. Even though I I like it, you know I like those I like Wilder I like uh, Gilda Radner, and mm-hmm. I like Dom DeLuise. But I just I just there's just something about it I just can't watch it. Yeah, I know, I know it. Um... Something about that title is just like it just it sounds like something that would be on a on a. Uh, like a B movie in the 1930s or something. Yeah, I remember when it uh, when it came out in theaters. I was in high school and I had no interest in it even as a teenager, and that's certainly not changed 30 years on. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Would you say uh, Would you say that High Spirits is better? <laughs> Boy, that's a real toss up. That, that's a great double feature. Yeah, let, uh, that now I hope Tarantino's listening so he can program that at the New Beverly. That should be a 
a good uh, double feature haunted honeymoon in high spirits. That would just <laughs> that would be the bomb. But, <laughs> oh yeah. man. So uh, well, do we do have a Grandview USA from 1984? Uh, that's uh, the first of two uh, Patrick Swayze films that were released on the sixth. Uh, but that's one of them, and uh, I'd never seen that. I caught up with it, um, you know, and it's it's just kind of blah. It's average, you know. It's it's got every, all those early '80s, star, you know, John Cusack's in it, and you got uh, of course like some Patrick Swayze and Tommy Howell and Jamie Lee Curtis, and uh, she bears a little skin in it, and uh, you know, it's directed by Randall Kleiser, but it's just it kind of. There's always just, been kind of a blah director, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. And, I know uh, people love Grease and everything, but I, I just, I always thought yeah. that it was a lesser, lesser uh, piece and and uh, Blue Lagoon and uh, you know, it's just yeah. never been a great director. You know, there's something about this though, maybe just the um, the the '80s nostalgia of it. I mean, mm. is 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 that enough to get you through it? It is. It is. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's it, there's it, this is when MTV was first coming unto its own, and there's a scene in it where Tommy Howell he fantasizes that he's in a rock video with uh, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, and <laughs> that's, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's 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 hit and miss. It's just not a great film, but it's not terrible either. It's just, it's one that you, you really can't heartily recommend, but you can't really dismiss it either. It's like, uh, you can't, it's a taco movie, I guess. But yes. <laughs> yeah. If you have some tacos, movie. which I have, I went to my taco place and I actually have tacos. I'll be having tacos at the, uh, after the show. Oh, great. <laughs> Fantastic. And probably watching something really bad. Yep. Yep. Well, the other Patrick Swayze film would be uh, Roadhouse, a collector's edition of Roadhouse from Shout Factory. What makes this a collector's edition? What's on it? (laughs) Ah, Finally, you mentioned the title I'm excited about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I'm trying to find the uh, list of extras here. Um, Yeah, it's got um, what it has as far as it's got a new 2K scan. And for for one thing, um, it's got new uh, new audio mixes. Um, there's an audio commentary with uh, Rowdy Harrington, and then there's the classic fan commentary with Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier. Um, unfortunately, they didn't put the Rift Tracks commentary on here, which would have been a good idea, I think. But anyway. Uh, uh, and there's a second disc that has uh, there's a one hour documentary called I Thought You'd Be Bigger The Making of Roadhouse and there's a 30 minute conversation with director Rowdy Harrington there's uh, Pain Don't Hurt The Stunts of Roadhouse (laughs) Pretty Good for a Blind White Boy The Music of Roadhouse Um, and a 15 minute documentary Remembering Patrick Swayze uh, where all the where his Widow and all the fellow cast members pay the tribute to him, and uh, then you know. So then there's a 12-minute thing called "What Would Dalton Do?" This is a goofy bonus feature with a bunch of actual bouncers or coolers, and they share their war stories. So, wow. yeah, and they really <laughs> they really went all out for it. I mean, that's kind of funny. 
<laughs> it is. It is. They really, uh, yeah, if you're a fan, I mean, I'd say pick it up for sure. But uh, anyway, so how about My Bodyguard from 1980? I, I, I adore that movie. I do, too. I, I, I still, actually do, too. I still think that that's, a, that's just a great... That's just a great kids movie without it being too kitty, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like it's uh it just comes from that time period where things like, you know, uh like that were very, you know, very prevalent. I mean, things like, you know, uh I love that movie in with things like uh, you know, Breaking Away and so forth. Uh Yeah, me too. Just a uh kind of a gritty kind of uh production uh and uh a really good cast and uh i guess i guess some of it you know some of that stuff with martin mall and everything probably doesn't work but uh all the stuff with the kids is great uh it's really well written um written by alan ormsby if i remember correctly the that's right guy who, who wrote a lot of uh horror movies for uh mm-hmm. for bob clark Yep, and uh, and uh, I, I really like the score, the Dave Grusin score, and and of course the two leads, uh, who you know Chris Makepeace, other than uh, uh, Meatballs, uh, never really did very much that I know about, except for these two movies. He's a Canadian yeah. actor that just sort of disappeared uh, mm-hmm. after these movies, but uh, I think he's very good in it, and. Uh, it's interesting to see the young, since it was filmed in Chicago, uh, uh, it's a good Chicago movie, I think. It really mm-hmm. shows the city off very well. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, you can see uh, Joan, uh, uh, very young Joan Cusack in it, and a very young Jennifer Beals uh, is in there. And, and of course, uh, Matt Dillon is superb in it, and so mm-hmm. is, uh, so is uh, Adam Baldwin. He's terrific in it. So, I mean, it's just a really, really good movie. It's a, it's a great, great kind of Saturday afternoon type of movie that just makes me feel real comfy and cozy. Yeah, I like it too. I haven't seen it in quite a while, and I, unfortunately, I, I overlooked this one when I sent my request list in for review titles, and so I'm going to have to borrow it from one of my colleagues who got a copy and uh, and re- revisit. But. Um, it's always good when a movie about bullying makes you feel all comfy and cozy inside. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about yeah. that that aspect of it, but it does, you know. I mean, it's like a it's a it's an underdog story, you know. So mm-hmm. that's kind of man. When I was it. a kid, uh, they would play My Bodyguard like constantly on like HBO and Cinemax and the like and mm-hmm. it was a big staple if you were a cable television watcher in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it was. That's, in fact, I think I I don't think I've ever seen it at the movie theater. I've only just seen it on TV. But uh uh yeah, that was a big it was a big thing back then. Yeah. That's where I first saw it too. Um but uh well what about the Peanuts, A Boy Named Charlie Brown, and Snoopy Come Home. Both of those have been issued by Paramount um, on I, Blu-ray. So. I still like both of those movies. I, yeah. I, I think that they do the Peanuts thing pretty pretty right. I mean, definitely better than the Peanuts movie, which was an abomination. Oh, yeah, that's what I was uh, going to say. But, uh, 
a boy named Charlie Brown is the better of the two, but mm-hmm. uh uh and I guess some people might have, and I can understand where some people might have some problems with some of the singing and you know musical numbers in it. Rod uh, yeah, the Rod McEwen numbers exactly. Uh, they don't always work, although I do like the the main song, uh, which I think is sung by Rod McEwen, by the way. I believe uh, it is. Uh, but. Uh, uh, and I don't know if anybody knows. I barely know who Rod McEwen is. He was a poet that was very popular in the '60s, and somehow, uh, yeah, somehow got connected with the with the uh, with the film. Uh, I think uh, Charles Schultz was actually a fan of his work because he would always mention his his yeah. work in the comics. Uh, so anyway, it's uh, it's it's very good and. Uh, uh, I think still kind of underrated, actually, in some ways. I do too. Uh, yeah, Rob McEwen's biggest claim to fame was he did the English translation of uh, Se- Seasons in the Sun, which became, you know, the big one of the infamous hits of the seventies. And uh, but that was originally written by Jacques Brel, the French singer-songwriter, and he did the American translation and brought it over here. And so that I think that was one of his early claims to fame and um, he and he also he was not he had been nominated did, was he nominated for an oscar for doing the song to uh the prime of miss gene brody you know gene yep, mm-hmm. you know that song okay that's his yep. too so uh yep. all right well okay. those so, are good yeah. pieces yeah i'd like for him to release uh race for your life charlie brown and uh bon voyage charlie brown i'd like to see the other two out on blu-ray eventually because i I really like Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown. That's always been kind of hard to to find, and I think that's probably my favorite of all of them. I think it's really, really, really that's good. the one I've never seen. Really, it's my favorite. It really is. It's uh, I think it's just so so charming and funny, and uh, just it just it just totally works for me. Mm. Not that I dislike any of the other ones. Don't get me wrong, I like them all, but that one just seems to seem seems I seem to like it a little bit better. Mm. Okay, but uh. Anyway, so how about the Karate Kid Part Three? <laughs> uh, you know, I've never seen it. Is it any good? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, each one of them was a little lesser than the one before, so it's not as bad as the next Karate Kid, but uh, it's not <laughs> as tolerable as the Karate Kid Part Two. <laughs> is it still one with Ralph Macchio, or is it, it is okay? It, it is. I'll never forget. You know, there was uh, in the Leonard Maltin's uh, TV movies. You know, when he reviewed it, he says, uh, "He said Ralph Macchio returns as the kid, the 27." Uh, he says Ralph Ralph Macchio returns as, uh, uh, and he puts uh, 20, 27 years of age in parentheses as the kid. Uh huh. <laughs> so it is a little ridiculous when he's pushing 30 and still playing the Karate Kid, but. <laughs> You know, but luckily, you know, he had that sort of Robbie Benson kind of effect going he on. Did. Where he did, yeah. He, 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 he kind of stayed eternally young for a little yeah. while there. He pulled but, it off. He pulled it off. I mean, and, and if you think about it, like he's playing a, he's playing like a college freshman or something in, mm-hmm. uh, in my cousin Vinny. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that works. You know, and he's probably sure. thirty years old there. So okay, well. Yeah, so uh, we'll move along to the next week, which was the uh, the 13th. 
And The Wolfman, The Complete Legacy Collection from Universal, and The Frankenstein Complete Legacy Collection were issued on Blu-ray. And a lot of people have been complaining about these because there's some some films that appear in both sets. So the the film content that you're actually getting that's unique to each set is is... You know, there's only a handful of films that you're actually getting that you won't find in the other set. In other words, uh, in the Frankenstein, you'll also find uh, Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So those movies just appear in both of them, which I think they should have found a way around that. But anyway, if you feel like you must and you're a completist, uh, there are a couple of films in there that are new to Blu-ray. So, um, and I don't What are the films in each one? I mean, do you have that... <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. I can uh, I can get it for you. Yeah, it's uh, of course the original Frankenstein. Um, is that's pretty obvious. And then you have um, the Bride of Frankenstein, the Son of Frankenstein. Um, you've got um, let's see. I think it's House of Frankenstein here. For some reason, it's not pulling it up. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I think that covers the Frankenstein collection. That's pretty much it. Uh, and then you have for the Wolfman, and that one, uh, you've got the original, the Wolfman, of course, and then Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and then it's House of Dracula, mm, and Abbott yep. Costello. Yeah, so anyway, okay, you get the point, so. Yeah, so some of them just cross over, you know. But anyway, but Universal did put out the eight-film horror collection from Hammer, which includes um, a couple of those Hammer films that Universal distributed, like uh, Curse of the Werewolf is one of them. Mm. And uh, the thing so with think, uh, Oliver Reed. Yeah, that one. Yeah, uh, that's, Curse a, of the that's a good. Curse. That's a good werewolf movie. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. So. Um, Anyway, so you, you know got, they're trying. You know, Universal's trying to revitalize the old monster movies <clears throat> uh, in in theaters um, because they're yeah, looking they're, for. <clears throat> they're always looking for the next franchise, so they're. And I think the first test of it will be uh, Tom Cruise's The Mummy. Uh, yep, that's I right. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. You yeah, know, I'm did, curious. I guess I'm curious. I don't know. I I've I've never been a huge like. I never found the mummies to be very scary because I always just felt like you know he was easy to vanquish because you could just you know outrun right. him or something or light so a light I, a match. I, <laughs> yeah, light a match. Set whatever. He just he just seems sort of lumbering. I know they probably fixed that in those mummy movies that you know I hate that I refuse to watch with. Uh, Brendan Fraser, you know, they probably made fast mummies for that, but uh, I don't know. I just don't find the mummy really a very interesting monster. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. It's uh, you know, Frankenstein but, is the king of the monsters, and that's the that's the reason. That's what they should have led off with. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and, but Frankenstein uh, yeah. is 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 lumbering too. Frank, but I think Frankenstein is the king of the monsters because of the because of the tr- the tragedy of what he is. Like the, the, it's it's a deeper resonance yes. that character than the others. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about. I mean, I guess you know, I, 
Yeah, I I don't know who the mummy is. Like that's one thing. I mean, I think that they try and remedy that in like some of those Hammer movies, uh, where they try and tell you the story of the person that was mummified. Um, uh, but I I still don't find it very compelling. But I mean, yeah, you're right, Frankenstein. But Frankenstein is huge too. I mean, like the mummy never really seemed huge. He just seemed like an average. Yeah. If you imagine uh, it going after Tom Cruise, I mean, something that large. <laughs> yeah, he would look our shortest. He would look star. like you know. He'd look like Billy Barty sitting there next to the mummy. <laughs> hey, Adam, is this yeah. is this collection? Is it called? Is it called the Hammer Don't Hurt Him collection? <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. No, just the Hammer Eight film uh, universe. Well, the Hammer Eight film horror collection is what it's called. So uh, you know, it's um, I mean. If uh, I'm not even, and I don't, I can't seem to get the list to pull up that has all of them listed. So I'm not even exactly sure what. Uh, but I do know Curse of the Werewolf, and I think Horror of Frankenstein. Those are two that you'll find in there. Okay. So, yeah. You know, so those are. Uh, it's that. But anyway, so moving right along, as we were discussing earlier, uh, what about um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? That's one of the Criterion titles that made its way. Uh, and the one written by Roger Ebert, of course. Of course. Infamously. And uh, this set actually is um, its quite interesting. They they did a really good job. It's uh, And it's, you know, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is not something you normally would expect to uh, see from Criterion, I wouldn't think. But um, surprisingly, they decided to to do it and uh they've uh so the extras that you get on it uh i'll have to mention these because they're pretty pretty uh, there was a british television show i don't know if you guys are familiar with it that ran in the uh, late 80s it was called the um the the incredibly strange film show uh, and Ooh. i'd like to have every episode of that it was a bbc show where they profiled horror film directors mm-hmm. and uh they have an episode of that show as an extra here that and it was the one they did on Russ Meyer. Okay. So that's one of the extras that you do get. Um, you know, and if, if uh, and that and that I can vouch for that show. It's really, really um, quite quite interesting. They did a profile. Uh, it, they did one on Sam Raimi, which uh, this was when he had only had like three films under his belt at right. that point. But they went ahead and did one on him and. I remember it was the first time that I'd ever seen any of the home movies that he did before he became, you know, a, a director, and uh, that was really interesting seeing his um, the, those uh, uh, Three Stooges. Um, he was doing those copies of the Three Stooges shorts, and that was how he started with High School Buddies, and there were clips of that in the uh, in that they included in that. So it was interesting if you can get your hands on it, and they may be on YouTube. I'm not 100% sure, but. Anyway, uh, but also on this Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, you have, of course, high-definition digital restoration. You've got uh, the commentary from 2003 featuring Roger Ebert. You've got the commentary from 2006 featuring uh, a bunch of the actors. Uh, and there's a, a new interview with John Waters for this set. And there's uh, interviews with cast members from 2005. And there's documentary and uh, several live documentaries from 2006 about the making of the film 
So and a booklet featuring an essay by Glenn Kenny. So, our good friend Glenn our Kenny. Our good friend Glenn Kenny. So <laughs> there you go. All right. I was going to say, uh, you know, I go into uh, Hollywood elsewhere. I, I I take a look at that site quite a bit these days, and uh, uh, Jeffrey Wells and I get I guess Jeffrey Wells and Glenn Kenny have a <laughs> have a kind of a history of like uh, yeah. kind of poking at each other a little bit, and I just find that uh, I I I just find that kind of uh, uh, that clash one of the reasons that I return to the side again and again. Yeah, the com the comment sections get really hairy when Glenn Kenny starts. <laughs> 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 uh, they do, and he always has. He always. I'll tell you what. He's the master of the insult. He can really. Yeah. <laughs> he can really cut to the quick. Sock it to you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did get a list of those titles, by the way, in the hammer box. Um, they are Brides of Dracula, Curse of the Werewolf, Phantom of the Opera, the one with Herbert Lom, Paranoia, yeah. Kiss of the Vampire, Nightmare, Night Creatures, and the Evil of Frankenstein, not Horror. Of Frankenstein. Okay. So there we go. Now we've been corrected. So. All right, that's good. And that is what. So Lionsgate has reissued Evil Dead Two. I'm not sure why, but uh, it's. I don't know that any of the extras are any different, but they do have uh, a reissue of Evil Dead Two, and maybe it's because Ash versus Evil Dead starting up again. Yeah. Uh, it starts tonight, as a matter of fact. The night we're taping it, the second of October. So anyway, uh, but um. So there was a 30th anniversary edition of Stand By Me issued. Mm. Uh, so 30 years, I, that is hard to believe, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a movie that uh, I think I'm alone in, uh, you know, like just thinking it's just okay. Like I know that's a very that's a very uh, important movie to a lot of people. But even back then I thought, you know, it's just a little, I don't know, there's something about... Uh, I don't know, there's something about it, it just doesn't, mm. it's a little too Goonies for me or something, I don't know. I was too old for it then, and I'm, I'm sure, and I'm sure I'm too old for it now, so. Yeah, I have, it has its moments, it's kind of a mixed bag for me, I, I, I there, there are some moments I like in it, but, but as a whole, it's just, it's just kind of average, uh, that was yeah. my take on it then, and, yeah, so, um. Anyway, uh, so the Twilight Time titles, we'll get into some of those. Uh, Eye of the Needle is one of them. I'm excited about seeing that again. Yeah. That's uh, Donald Sutherland, and uh, isn't that directed by um, Richard Marquand, I believe? It is. Yeah, he did. The director of Return of the Jedi later on, and and died died way too young. young. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Just a couple of years after Return of the Jedi's release, so... Yeah, and Kate Nelligan. Kate Nelligan. Yeah, Kate Nelligan. Yeah. We, we got to mention her. She's she's mm-hmm. very good in it. So definitely, it's a spy movie, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of a really more of a thriller than anything else. So yeah, it's good. Well, what about uh from noon till three with Charles Bronson and Jill Ireland from nineteen seventy six? Ah, it's sort of like a comedy western, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Which is uh, it's it's weird to think of you know Charles Bronson doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but 
Anyway, I watched Mr. Majestic the other night. Still good, I think. It is. It's good. It's like a really... It is so gritty, though. I mean, it's so ugly. Uh, yeah. Like an ugly movie. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know, I mean, you can really feel the, you know, influence of just, you know, all of Peckinpah on the entire mm-hmm. industry at that point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, this uh, that that is it is, and there's uh, what about Murphy's Law? Speaking of Charles Bronson, uh, from 1986, there's one of your can- film one of the films in the canon canon. <laughs> wow, I can hardly even remember that one. J. Lee Thompson directed. So, oh, he was yeah. big for them. Yep, and and I mean, I somebody who constantly collaborated with. Bronson too. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they did many movies together. Yep. But, yeah. And okay. then there's yeah, I'm trying Bobby. to I'm trying to uh, track down the soundtrack for Ten to Midnight, the Charles Bronson movie. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there a reason for that? Just because it's an off-ball title that I'd like to own. Okay. <clears throat> I like the off-ball yeah, a- soundtracks, and that that's one of them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one though. It, it is a good score. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Twilight Time also issued nine to five, uh, which I would say there's probably a demand for that one. It'll probably sell out, mm. most likely. Um, and then uh, they also issued Bobby Deerfield. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever seen that, Jamie? Seriously asking me that? <laughs> I, I I I figure the answer is yes, but I mean, uh, yes, I have. Is it, is it really bad? Is it really bad? It's uh, it is um, it is just shy of uh, Lifetime Disease of the Week movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not good, but uh, it's interesting because. Um, I think that's one. That's probably the first big career misstep for Pacino, because he had just mm-hmm. come off such a string of great movies, one after another. But he always said that he felt closer to that character than any most of any he's ever played. And I think it is in exploring the isolation of celebrity um, that makes that a meaningful character for him. He's okay. not great in it. Mm-hmm. It's not a great movie. But it is it is a kind of interesting curi- curiosity in his early career. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to describe <laughs> it. Is there a yeah, lot of race car stuff in it? Just out there's of... some. Okay. There's some. But I agree. It's, Martha it's nowhere Keller, near. Martha the... Keller is not good in it. She's not. She's kind of embarrassing no. in parts of it. She was always not so great, even in things mm-hmm. like. And they were. And, 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 yeah, and they were. They were fucking at the time. So they are okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, my take on it was <laughs> it was nowhere near as good as as bad as what people said it was. I mean, you know, it just I it is it does have that disease of the week feel, but it's not it's not terrible. It's watchable. I mean, you know, what's worse? Okay, here's what's worse: Bobby Deerfield or Arthur Arthur. 
Bobby oh. Deerfield. Because I, 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 yeah. I can I actually can enjoy author, author. Uh, I mean, it has Alan King in it. I like some yeah. of the stuff with the kids uh, in That's it. That's true. Uh, I, I, I like some, Arthur, Arthur is enjoyable for me to turn on, like you guys are talking about, on a Saturday afternoon. And, and, the greatest, field, and, and it has the greatest and movie theme in it. <laughs> right, yeah. milk and cookies. I tried to watch Arthur Arthur a couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't get more than 30 minutes into it. And I was just like, ah, I can't do it. Another career oh, misstep, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, here's uh, speaking of missteps, here's one. How about Jekyll and Hyde together again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Now, who, who remembers the great Mark Blankfield, uh, who has the lead role in this film? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I'm he was a blank field. Yeah, well, uh-huh. he was, and this is really getting into some deep trivia. You remember when ABC had their answer to Saturday Night Live called Fridays? Uh huh. Yeah. And yeah, well, he was like their um. They're they're the the one they were trying to break out as a star. He was going to be their Belushi, oh okay, Mark Blankfield, and so they did this. And this was one that turned up on HBO. You're talking about those early '80s HBO. This one turned up all the time on HBO, but usually really late at night because it was R-rated. You know, it was kind of one of those. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it has Bess Armstrong as the female lead, which she kind of fell off the map too. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I might be interested to go back and look at it just as a curiosity item because it's been thirty plus years since I've seen it. But but it's, uh, it's probably <laughs> the, the only thing. That title just made me laugh. Just hilarious. Yeah, well, I mean, what other film has Mark Blankfield in the lead? So <laughs> <laughs> we're the only people talking about Mark Blankfield, as you so often say. Absolutely, in the entire yeah. nation. Yeah. And Jared Belson directed this, if that gives you any idea. So, yes. So, you know, anyway. a few months ago, I last last year I rewatched. Uh, speaking of Jekyll and Hyde, I rewatched Mary Riley, and, uh-huh, and, yeah. and which uh, is really like the most kind of gray, dowdy, sullen movie, and incredibly brave of Julia Roberts to do at that time when she was America's sweetheart, because this was mm-hmm. in the thick of that popularity she had. Yeah. But uh, but a- apart from all of that and the disappointment of seeing Julia Roberts in something like that, <laughs> you know, we're two, you know, two decades away from that now, uh, there's a lot of visual, great visual stuff in that movie. Uh, I just thought it was a gorgeous-looking movie. Mm. Um, and, it, and it really set in a mood that kind of seeps in you. Um, you know, it could be better. It could be more dynamic, but uh, it's it's worth uh, reassessing. I think. Okay. I haven't seen it since it came out in theaters, so I, I I'd be interested. I mean, I remember it had it was delayed. The release was delayed on and on and on. They like had three release dates that they never made, and there was a lot of post production tinkering. I think and. So uh, I'd, I'd be interested to know the whole story behind what you know went on there, but get, get, yeah. find a good clean find a good clean copy of it um, because it's a visually 
it's one of those Italian, uh, like Felipe Russolo. It's just one of those Italian DPs that did it. It's very mm-hmm. expressively shot. Speaking of which, yeah. um, a Blu-ray-wise, like clean versions of Blu-rays, my friend was watching the new Shout Factory uh, release of The Thing, mm-hmm. uh, Adam. And I don't know if you're about to reveal that or not, but he said yeah, it, I was gonna and he's it. watched it. He's watched it many times, so I guess we can go ahead and talk about it now, because I just brought it yeah, up. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Why not? But uh, he, he's watched it many times, and he has one of those you know, 4K TVs, and uh, he said it is the best he's ever seen it look, this transfer. Nice. Yeah, I haven't gotten my hands on a copy of that, uh, but I wanted to, and I've heard the same thing. I've heard they, that they retain just the right amount of grain in the uh, transfer, because that's that was the criticism of the original issue from Universal put out in the in around, I guess it was around 2008, and everybody said that it was just too pristine. There's no, it doesn't have any sort of film grain or anything like that. It just, it looks too pretty, so to speak, if that's possible, yeah. and too perfect. And this one, they, I think they they went back in there with Dean Kundi, uh, or he was uh, he supervised the transfer on this one. It is a 4K transfer that they did from scratch and they they went back to the original 70 millimeter uh soundtrack audio track that they had and they they did the 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 remix on the sound on the disc from that so they really went all out on this man uh, can you imagine seeing i didn't know that they released that in 70 millimeter could you mm -hmm. imagine seeing the thing in 70 millimeter oh it would be fantastic (laughs) that would be that oh, would be yeah. mind blowing. I did see it in the theaters when it came out, but uh, I, I didn't see it in seventy mil. No, I didn't. I would just. I can only dream about what that would look like. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, they did a they did a really good job with that. And Ben Kundi, uh, a really interesting DP. I think he's got a much oh, yeah. better, more colorful, and diverse career than a lot of people give him credit for. I mean, early on when I first started being conscious of DPs, I. I thought Manny did the great job with Halloween because that was the most famous movie he shot. Oh yeah. And not knowing much much else of his career, I kind of dismissed him as the horror guy. But he he's yeah. all over the place. He's done a lot of great work. I mean, even something like Back to the Future. Uh, yep. You don't right. think of being a Dean Kundi movie, but it is. <laughs> yeah, all of them, all three of them. He shot them all, and uh, yeah, I. I think his work on Psycho 2 is really good. I mean, it's another horror film, but I, I've always been, I've always thought that was one of his better efforts was uh, Psycho yeah. 2. He just did such a great job with that. And um, anyway, but uh, yeah, he's he's one of the he's one of the greats. I totally agree. And uh, so the, he did Roadhouse. <laughs> that's true. That is true. You had forgotten about that, but it is true. That's when I started to really love him. Right there, right, <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah. right there. So the other, the other Twilight Time title I didn't mention was um, Remo Williams: The Adventure Begins. So we'll throw that yeah, one out there. Yeah, I enjoyed that movie. I'd yeah, like to watch I was that always, again. Always surprised they never did another one of those, and you know, just never, never happened. And uh, there was talk of it, but just never, never materialized. But um. Anyway, so what about the Raising Cain Collector's Edition? I know, you know, we this uh, director's cut that's floating around, we kind of first found out about it on the show here, I think, and when we did the De Palma thing years ago, you guys did. And uh, so it's on here. It's on this new uh, this new double-disc Blu-ray special edition of uh, Raising Cain, and I did watch it. I 
the first time I'd actually watched it, and it, I think it works a lot better than the original cut, that's for sure. Um, now, does hmm. Pete Gelderblom, does he get a credit, or what? Or oh, yeah, they do yeah a whole, he's actually on, a whole, the, he's uh, on the disc. Okay. He has a feature ad on him, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, I'd like to watch yeah. that, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's and and they've got brand new interviews with Paul Hirsch and uh, several of the other you know production people involved in the, uh, uh, you know several people that are that were involved in the production of the film are interviewed there on the first disc with the original cut of the film, but uh, yeah, I think it works a lot better. I mean, it still has flaws. It's not as good as say Blowout or some of De Palma's you know classics, but it's. It, it it just it works a lot better. The flow is, is much much better. So yeah, if you haven't picked that up, you know, and you're when, a fan, when you're dealing with a movie like that, yeah, that that movie's not meant to be structurally pristine. You know, the That's whole true. notion, the whole the whole tone of that movie is unhinged, which right, is what yeah. I love about. It. You know, if yeah, I love true. anything about it, it's the fact that it's just kind of balls out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I like I like how it focuses on the. Uh, the Lolita Davidovich character, you know, is it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of reminiscent. The new, the different, the alternate cut is actually reminiscent of Dress to Kill. I think the way it's structured, you know, that's what it reminded me of. Mm. You know, and uh, it has more of a structure similar to that. But um, and that was just my take and on even, it. Even you know, there's so many levels in De Palma movies. Um, yeah. For me, or for people that are crazy about De Palma and are looking for them. So at the end of the movie. Raising Cain, and it's actually been many years since I've seen it. But the end of the movie where they're arguing at the hotel, it's the climax of the movie, and guns mm-hmm. are being fired or something. And there's all these references just in that one scene to Hitchcock, to um, but but it goes deeper than that. Like there's a baby carriage that goes down the stairs. Yeah. So it's a riff. It's a riff on De Palma's riff on what Eisenstein. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's one layer after another. It's almost like he's playing with the audience, and I think the best thriller directors do that. I mean, the, the prime example being Hitchcock, and De Palma's oh, in yeah. that vein. I agree. Yeah, it's, there's a lot going on there. It's it's real busy, and I think that's at the same sequence where the 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 woman, the uh, psychiatrist, who's who's uh, suffering from cancer, her wig disappears, and there's <laughs> the quick shot of her reaching, you know, being the that uh, John Lithgow's uh, the the main the Kane character you know has uh, has uh, tied her up or whatever and ran off with her wig and disguising himself. <laughs> it's, it's a lot going on there. Yeah, odd but interesting. Yeah, but uh, so yours, mine, and ours with uh, Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda. What do we think about that one? I... It's kind of a <clears throat> I I get that mixed up with with six you get egg roll which is another uh, <laughs> uh but, <laughs> but uh I do uh is it is it not like a it's kind of like a Brady Bunch thing right I mean it is get... it is but I think it's a fun movie I really do okay uh, it's, it's it's uh the remake was really atrocious the one with Dennis Quaid and uh, Rene Russo, I believe. But, oh, okay, yeah. I yeah, about that. it's pretty bad. Yeah, but the, the the original is really charming. It's it's one of those the better of those late '60s family comedies, and 
Yeah, I think it's still a lot of fun. I really do. But uh, am I right? It, it is kind of like a Brady Bunch thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they've got like I forget the total number of kids they've got in that house, but it's like ridiculously like fourteen or sixteen, something like that. And okay. He, yeah. He's got eight. She's got six or something like that. Uh huh. Okay. Anyway, it's uh, yeah that kind of thing. So it's, I always it's thought Brady it was Bunch. unusual, you know, like this, the you know the attempts. At getting Lucille Ball in the movies, because uh, I, I just <clears throat> not too long ago watched uh, the Facts of Life, which is a mid '60s sort of kind of a square stab at mm-hmm. doing a um, a kind of sexy uh, Billy Wilderish kind of comedy, yeah. but with um, Lucille Ball and um, Bob Hope. They're married, and uh, they, uh, but they're married to other people. They're mm-hmm. each married to other people, and they're thinking about having a, a, a an affair when they go on vacation together. And um, it's just weird. It's it's weird to see. Uh, I guess it's weird for me to feel like she's not playing Lucille Ball in the yeah. movies. You know, like. Uh, of course, when she's on I Love Lucy, she created a kind of, or even the Lucy show, she created, created kind of a an alternate kind of character. But yeah. It's just weird to see her not in that character uh, in the movies. So, um, but hmm. uh, you know, Henry Fonda, I'm always into watching Henry Fonda. So, uh, yeah. So I, I've never seen that film all the way through. So. Yeah, I I'm going to go back and uh I'm going to go back and revisit it. I haven't had time since it's been issued, but I'm planning on it. So, yeah. So what about the Transformers the movie, 30th anniversary edition from Shout Factory? <laughs> what, the animated thing? Yeah, the animated one with Orson Welles voice and and you've got the touch. It's got the, the That's song. the one. You've got the touch. That's uh, the one. <laughs> I probably like I I I would never watch it. <laughs> but yeah. I like that song. I think that song's funny. Of course. <laughs> well, for fans of that, it's it's out there. And uh and then uh Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin. Remember that one? That was one of those when they had the uh resurgence of three D in the early eighties and that was one of those that came out of that crop. So, With uh which one? It's uh Metal Storm. Ma- is that the one with Molly Ringwald, or? I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and um, speaking of '80s films, how about the Return of Godzilla, or it was known in America as the Godzilla 1985. Yeah. I don't think the the original Japanese cut has never been issued in America that I'm aware of, and this is it. This is the which I've heard is actually much better than the um, than the American version, but the Return of Godzilla. From 1985, that's that's out there. As if is the Jerry monster. was here, he could tell us all about it. I could, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And the uh, you're speaking of Roadhouse. There's the 1948 Roadhouse. That's the one with uh, it says uh, 41 years before Patrick Swayze bounced into the double deuce. Another Roadhouse gave audiences a thrill. <laughs> Cornell Wilde and Ida Lupino. So mm. okay. Yep. So uh, there's that, uh, and uh, Tenebrae, the um, yeah. 
That's uh, the Italian horror film that has, you know, the Dario Argento, Anthony Francioza, John Saxon, of course, and the <laughs> film has a, a loyal following. So a lot of people can rejoice that Tenebrae is being issued by Synapse. Uh, and there's The Monster of Pedris Blancas from 1959. Now that's a masterpiece. <laughs> that's yeah. a masterpiece. That is a masterpiece of bad movie making. Like I would <laughs> I would put that like on the in the you know, in the vault with uh plan nine and so forth. Mm-hmm. And Mano's fa- uh, hands of fate. Hands of fate, and, yeah. Uh great I remember watching the monster of Piedras Blancas one night <laughs> with a friend. Uh, we were, uh, I was hanging out over at his house and we found this, this movie, you know, on late night and it has the credit, you know, it shows the credits, you know, all the people who are in it. And then there's one special credit card that says, and introducing the monster of Piedras Blancas as the monster of Piedras Blancas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. And that's, that's the moment great. where I said, "Oh, this is going to be fantastic," and it was. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad that that's uh, that's out there. It seems like people are kind of talking about it a little bit. So yep, I think that's nice. It's out there. Uh, Olive Films issued that, and uh, uh, and uh, Criterion issued uh, the story of the last chrysanthemum from 1939, which I've never seen. Is that uh, uh, like an Ozu? It is, uh, the director is uh, Kenji uh, Mitsuguchi, yeah. Yes, okay. And they say it's one of the the first uh, uses of the long take in a film. Okay. So, uh, you know, if you're a film history person and, you know, you want to check it out, it's out there. I Like I said, I've never seen it, so I don't really, I can't vouch for it. But um, anyway... Um, uh, let's see, uh, the De Palma documentary uh, made its way to Blu-ray, but it has no extras on it, just a trailer, I think, so it's kind of surprising. I thought there'd be a lot of outtakes and stuff, but nothing there. Uh, mm. There's a 30th anniversary edition of Aliens, um, and then we have uh, a couple of interesting things that uh, came out the 20th of September, uh, Beauty and the Beast, the 25th anniversary edition, and uh, the Coen Brothers' uh, first film, Blood Simple, Criterion, uh, did the honors of issuing that, and they did a really good job. Brand new transfer, and you know some nice extras there. So if you're a fan of Blood Simple, then now it's time to revisit. Did you ever see that version of Blood Simple that they, re, you know, when they re-released it a couple of years ago? Like, a, I don't know, it might be a decade ago now. But uh, then they came out with it on DVD, and, uh, you know, they gave it a... <clears throat> when they re-released it, I guess the Coen brothers, like, uh, hired an actor to play, like, the head of a stu- the studio who was... yeah. Yeah, who is uh, re-releasing uh, Blood Simple and mm-hmm. and uh, it was like a phony, uh, a, you know, a phony studio head. Right, and anyway, yeah. they they when they re-released it with uh, uh, on DVD, they got this actor to do like a phony 
uh, commentary track. Yep, yep. Playing I have that, that one. character, you know, playing the, and it was. I thought it was one of the most one of the funniest uh, commentary tracks I'd ever heard. Because I, I, you just have to listen to it, but it, it's just it's so clever. It's like. Uh, it's right up there with like you know the uh, Spinal Tap commentary mm-hmm. and so forth. It's, it's one of the great commentaries. I wonder if they kept that. Uh, I don't think they did. I don't think it's it's there. They've put in. They've replaced it with some new ones. But uh, so I, I think if you have the other one, you might want to keep it. it. It's actually out on Blu-ray. The uh, the other one, the one uh-huh. you're talking about, which that's the one I have. Uh-huh. But, uh You know, I didn't. I, I didn't. I haven't picked up the Criterion one yet, but. But uh, you know, I'm sure they did a great job with the transfer as always. So, uh, how about uh, "Beware the Blob" from 1972? Larry Hagman. It is the film that J.R. shot. Remember that was the tagline when it was reissued in in 1982, I think, or 80 or 81. They reissued it in the early 80s, and that was the tagline. So, yeah, but uh, you, you know, you're in for an early 70s treat when Godfrey Cambridge is the first victim in this film. So. Uh, Mhm. You know what to expect, and there's Burgess Meredith and uh, Carol Lindley and Cindy Williams, and of course Larry Hagman, and uh, as I said, Godfrey Cambridge. I, and I didn't realize that Hagman was in it. I've never seen it. Oh yeah. So, so okay. okay. Yeah, he's in it. He plays a bum. <laughs> yeah. So home, homeless man, whatever. So okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Wasn't there I talk of remaking the Blob not too long ago? Like remaking it. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Is that still happening? I mean, like, God, we had one in the 80s. I thought it was great, the one from the 80s. Not bad, yeah. Not bad, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, uh, another criterion, um, I mean, not a criterion, but Olive is getting into the the, um, line of collector, collector, collector's editions. I'll get it out. And they've got a line called Olive Signature in their first issue on that would be High Noon and Johnny Guitar. Those are the first two titles. Interesting. Uh, on uh, Hollywood Elsewhere, uh, I guess um, uh, Jeffrey Wells had did a piece on uh, High Noon and mm-hmm. commented how uh, he was commenting on how, you know, in the climactic moment where the uh you know the clock is reaching high noon and there's that mm-hmm. very intricately edited uh piece where they're cutting cutting to one second shots of almost everybody in town and everything and it's very yeah. intricate and he said he said it always felt wrong to him because uh the music is playing and the music's very timed out and the cuts should be happening on the beats of the music. But he said he always felt it was a little off and Hmm. he's right. He found out that they were, they were like four frames off. And so he, 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 uh, he found some guy that actually fixed it. And, uh, anyway, I was just, I just thought that was interesting that that, uh, he noticed that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I knew this one of the, one of the great movies in terms of editing still. Yeah. But. Yeah. yeah so, guitar is a really, really fascinating uh, movie as well. And one of those movies that, uh, you know, really cement Crawford as a trailblazer, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could say that a trailblazer, I mean, specifically in the, and I'm not making a joke here, but specifically in the lesbian community. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, very much so. I mean, uh, that, you know, that whole story with, uh, and Mercedes McCambridge is in it, too, and she's, she's also similarly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lauded in that community. But, uh, yeah, that's just a big, big movie in the gay community in general. And uh, and uh, also one of Nicholas Ray's most unusual films, which is actually yeah. saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was... It, it was unavailable for many years too, so uh, it's good to see it out there. Um, but uh, the 1942 version of Cat People has been issued by Criterion, and yeah. uh, of course they they you know did gussied it up with all kinds of great extras, of course. And uh, the 1986 horror film Dead End Drive In has been issued by Arrow. It's one of Quentin Tarantino's favorites. That's how they're billing it. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I have a I have a uh, movie poster for it, yeah. <laughs> which is one of the lowest rent movie posters I have. But uh, <laughs> boy, it's bad. But yeah, I never saw it. I just skipped it. But there's a 30th anniversary edition of Labyrinth out there. In another movie, another like really popular 80s movie that that. Uh, while I appreciate like a lot of the technical stuff that goes in into went into it, uh, I I really don't find myself moved by it at all. Yeah. There's a lot of those '80s movies that that people love that keep they keep you know trying to you know like the Goonies that people just adore for some reason. Mainly I agree. because they were kids. Uh, it, it was like the first they were like mm-hmm. the first films that they owned. Uh, yep. When they got a VHS machine or whatever. Yep. So there's a lot of, but I, I just don't think, I just never understood the the appeal of Labyrinth. I agree. It kind of left me cold too. As much as I like Jim Henson, and I'm a big fan of Jim Henson, but it's just it's, I, I'm not a big fan of Dark Crystal either. I think that it's it has a very sluggish pace. He just, I think he was great on ideas, but he was not good in terms of storytelling. For, uh, in my opinion, and yeah. uh, and he's—I mean, there's some great moments, but the moments don't add up to great films on, in either case, in, mm-hmm. in in my opinion. Yeah. So uh, I tried rewatching Dark Crystal. I, I read the Jim Henson biography last year, and it made me want to go back and revisit Dark Crystal, and and I re and I did, and it it just didn't hold up. It just didn't. Uh, when know. I think of Jim Henson, I always, uh, you know, I went to an arts uh, high school. So it mm-hmm. was uh, theater, um, dance, uh, music, and art, um, all those disciplines. And I remember a day in my sophomore year there where Jim Henson and Sammy Davis Jr. both died on the same day. Yeah, and that's right. I remember every, everybody being crushed about Jim Henson passing. And I was like, we work in an or, – or, or we study in an art school – and nobody's bringing up Sammy Davis Jr., who's mm-hmm. probably the most talented entertainer that has ever lived. I was crazy about Sammy Davis Jr. even back then. I was then. too. Yeah. So. Yeah. But Jim Henson is I, a genius. I mean, not to take away from him, but I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting. 
I just remember, you know, they were kind of expecting Sammy Davis Jr. to pass because he had terminal throat cancer. And so that, I think right. everybody was kind of expecting that. And then, you know, you, you turn on your entertainment tonight. That's That was my experience. And they said, well, Sammy Davis Jr. has passed. And Jim Henson. And it's like, Jim Henson? <laughs> Where'd that come from? I mean, yeah. I and Sammy Davis back. Jr. did look a little like a black Muppet, which was uh, ironic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably one of the one of the most shocking celebrity deaths. I mean, as far as catching me off guard, I just uh, I, I just remember the the feeling of it. It's like I I can't believe that happened. You know, it was one of those just big shockers. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, yeah. So um, Salem's Lot from 1979, the original, directed by Toby Hooper. This has a brand new mm-hmm. audio commentary with Toby Hooper. Um, in addition to really you know, a new transfer yeah sure does so if you're uh it, it might be worth it just to get it for the commentary because the other one was bare bones the original issue of salem's lot but i do think salem's lot is pretty effective in a lot of ways uh, some pretty good jolts in there and still holds up Me too. i think yeah so uh i i i, I, I do th- i do think that has great elements in it oh yeah um i, I think um james mason as the lead baddie is a great uh, casting mm. choice. Uh, it's got the cre- it's got some creepy, you know, the creepy d- uh, guy. God, who's the character actor um, who was so Jeffrey good? Lewis? I can't remember his name. Jeffrey Probably, Lewis, yes. maybe. Yeah. Yes, when he was floating in midair and scratching on the right. window, and it's oh, got yeah. really effective moments in it. And then I I remember what, when I was younger watching it with a girlfriend of mine and. Uh, we were both marveling at how tight uh, David Soule's jeans were. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and my girlfriend at the time, she came up with one of the most clever like lines I've ever heard, and it makes no practical sense, but it just it's just funny. I said, God, those jeans are tight. And, and she said, yeah, he, he could make cream of wheat in those things or something to that effect. And I was like, oh. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's really great. Uh, well, well, Warner Brothers has issued uh, a couple of these King titles. They also issued Cat's Eye and It, the original television version, which I think is half of a good movie, in my opinion. Yeah. But, um, Here's hoping the, the feature first. film will be much better. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. But uh, anyway, and Cat's Eye, of course, is directed by Louis Teague, who made Cujo and... Uh, and uh, Alligator. Alligator, <laughs> yes. Which I love. Which I'm clamoring for a Blu-ray release of that. I'm, Lionsgate uh, controls the rights to that. And I just keep hoping they'll do something with it. They won't license it to anybody. Shout Factory, Screen Factory's tried to get it from them. But yet they won't release it. And it's like, come on, guys. You know, put that out there. They should. They're putting well, out everything. I mean, around. they're putting out everything else. Yes, he is. Yeah, Louis Teague. Yeah, yeah. He he also made Lady in Red with uh, Pamela Sue Martin, which I have an affection for as well. So. Oh yeah, I like that. That's a you yeah. know I always kind Good. of associate that with uh, more Roger Corman, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's true. He did direct that. Yeah, I like I, that movie too. I do too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, Twin Peaks, the original series, along with Firewalk with Me and The Missing Pieces, it's being billed as. Uh, Paramount's put all that out in a big box set, so I guess that's in anticipation of the new uh, Twin Peaks heading down the pike. 
Hmm. Man, I cannot I'm wait like for that I'm new like... Twin that new Twin Peaks. Oh, I cannot yeah. wait for that. Oh, God. <laughs> that's gonna be. That's gonna be. I, I, you know what? I, I uh, that's gonna be like the most buzzed about upcoming TV show. Uh, yeah. And and pers- personally for me, I can't think of another instance where I've looked more forward to a TV show. Yeah, uh, me neither. Yeah, it's going to be it's it's pretty exciting. I can't wait either. I'd l- I'd love to um, see Fire Walk with me on Blu-ray. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um that that might uh, of course I guess it would be nice to have all uh, Blu-ray upgrades of all the other uh yep, the episodes of the show too. So uh yeah, it might be worth it. But is so, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be difficult since you know, it, it was shot in standard def? Yeah, that was Joke. well. I don't know. Was it, it was on film, wasn't it? So if they had the original film elements, they might be able to do something with it. I don't know. So oh, by uh, the way, what's also what's also interesting is they shot all of Westworld on film. Oh, that's nice. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. But I guess yeah. you know it's it's Jonathan Nolan, Nolan. right? So I mean, right. They're they're uh, they're both very uh, pro film. So I guess yeah. we shouldn't be surprised. And, Early reviews on that are very good too, by the way. So I'm hoping uh, hoping it lives up. But, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So Bill and Ted's most excellent collection, which includes the two Bill and Ted films, of course, with lots of extras. That's uh, from Shout Factory. Um, and we're talking about uh, uh, Charles Bronson films. How about Cabo Blanco, which is also directed by J. Lee Thompson and uh, it's kind of a reworking of Casablanca. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it is. Uh, I didn't say it was a good one, but uh, <laughs> a lot of it, yeah, it yeah, really we talked is. Of, we talked about this last week, actually. The whole Last House on the Left, the Virgin Springs, oh, South yeah. Acres, oh, yeah. Lear, remember? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, this this is this falls in squarely into that line of... Uh, or into that same wheelhouse. Uh, so Blood Diner, there's a new there's a new line from um, Lionsgate, and they're taking all these Vestron video titles that were on VHS back then, uh, and they and they they're calling them uh, the Vestron Video Collector Series, and one of the latest titles is Blood Diner, directed by Jackie Kong from '87, uh, mm. and so you know there's a bunch of these. They're doing Return of the Living Dead Part Three is one of the upcoming releases and this is a lot of they even have the Vestron video logo on the front of the Blu-ray which is kind of neat so uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that yeah it's, it's did they try nice. and make it look like a like a old VHS uh yeah yeah they kind of do yeah yeah it's funny uh, just uh confession I, I my the ringtone on my phone is the old Vestron uh the the little uh, musical blurb that you'd get at the front of those uh, VHS tapes <laughs> I made that my ringtone <laughs> so when you when my phone rings, you hear the old Vestron people are like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> it's an inside joke. But, uh, Have you, know. you ever uh, <clears throat> this is kind of this is kind of related to what you were talking about there? But yeah. have you ever gone on uh, YouTube? Uh, if you've never seen this, I recommend everybody go on YouTube and look up. Uh, I think you just have to type in scary. Scary seventies uh uh T V and movie logos or something like that. Yeah, and, I've done some of those, yeah. <laughs> and what you get is, you know, all of those things like 
that would end the TV shows back yep, then, yep. you know, like, uh, uh, you know, they'll have the PBS one or whatever. It's just little, little, uh, you know, five set. Yeah. The Viacom, the, uh, Paramount, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is one of the funniest things ever. If you ask me, it's just seeing all of those logos, you know, uh, and they are scary. I don't know why they're scary. I know. Uh, I guess they were trying to like break through to you, you know, in television. You know, they were trying to like uh, grab your attention with them. Yeah. And uh, but but they end up being quite startling and uh, and and weird. They are creepy. There's just oh, they are. Yeah. <laughs> there's just yeah, no there's two actually, ways. Two ways about it. Yeah. Well, there's a documentary that's made by the same same guy who made Room Two Thirty Seven. You guys probably know about it. It's called um, The S from Hell. And it's a short documentary about the uh, Screen Gems logo, and, and people who who have an, an actual phobia about the Screen Gems logo. And, uh, it, it's great, it really is. But and it's it's only like ten minutes. But the funniest scene in it uh, is this this guy is talking about how he was terrified by the Screen Gems logo, and his and his sister knew he was scared of it. So she would, when it would come on after the monkeys or bewitched, she would pin him to the floor and take her hair and rub it in his face and go, screen gems, screen gems, screen gems. And just and <laughs> the kid was terrified. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, and, he, and as an adult, he's still terrified by the screen gems logo. It's it's a hoot. But uh, look that up. You can find it online. I think Vimeo's got it, but it's called The S from Hell. So it's I'm right going to look that up. Yeah, you need to look it up. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. <laughs> It's good. I laughed out loud quite a few times. Yes. But uh, another one of those, by the way, Vestron Video Collector's Series, uh, another title is Chopping Mall, by the way, from 1986. So, Am I wrong in thinking that there's like, first of all, there's no actual killer in that. It's like robots or something, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, uh, yeah. It's just robots. Uh, these kids uh, camping out in the shopping mall, and uh, and these robots that are security guards. They go crazy and terrorize the kids in the shopping mall, and they're they're hiding in the mall for some reason. I can't remember. Oh, they're trapped. I think it is it's like a high tech shopping mall, and they get trapped. And anyway, it's funny because in the credits, Paul Bartell and Mary Warnoff are listed, but it's been so long since I've seen it, I can't remember. But she swears up and down. I did an interview with her a couple of years ago. Swears up and down she's not in the film. Mm. Even though she's in the credits, and she, and okay. she takes uh, great umbrage with people who always ask her about chopping malls. She says, "I'm not in the film," so uh, <laughs> for whatever it's worth. But they still bill her as like third or fourth on the credits. I think I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm writing for this site, <clears throat> Zeke Film now. Yeah. And I proposed to them an idea of doing like a monthly, like a sort of like a weird movie list. Like I want to take. Mm-hmm. Like, the first one that I'm going to do is about pie in movies. You know, like, all all the movies that <laughs> – a list of 25 movies that have major scenes that revolve around pie. Oh, nice, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's the history of pie in movies. And I'm always trying to think of, uh, like, weird little things like that to do. And you know what would be great is a list of, like, mall movies. Yeah. That's a good idea. Because, you know, I mean, you know, <coughs> you know, you can start by, you know, scenes from a mall, obviously, and Paul Blart Mall Cop. But yep. 
but then you get into things like Chopping Mall and um, Silent Partner, isn't that? Silent Partner is a good one. That's a yeah. very good one. Um, was it Day of the Dead? That was the Shopping Dawn Mall. Of the Dawn of the Dead. Dawn yeah, of the Dead. both of them. Uh, yeah, that's both, true. That's true. Both yeah. versions. Uh, I I don't know. I just think uh, uh, I I also remember that uh, uh, series seven, the contenders has a mall has some mall scenes in it, and uh, which which is a great movie if you've never seen that series seven, the contenders. Uh, oh, yeah. The blue uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know. I just I, I'd like to start thinking of more. Yeah. So if you guys can think of any, send them out, send them over. Right. Yeah, uh, Jason's show he had uh, he he has us doing lists like every time I do a show, and I never prepare for those shows. So just to be a smart aleck, I'd I'd prepare my own list of like really uh, off the wall list. So uh-huh. uh, you know I'd come on and I'd say here are the top three scenes uh, involving the crashing of a vendor's uh, shopping cart, like uh, the street street cart. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I'd say, remember Temple of Doom when Short Round drives over that one uh, street vendor's cart, and then you have the hot dog cart, the hot dog cart scene in Sleepers. Uh, oh, you know that uh, puts the whole plot in motion, and yeah, that's funny. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good one too. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we talked about uh, a little bit ago, Decalogue, when we first started, that uh, that's out now. And, that, yeah, that's... Uh, that's that's like the, uh, pretty, uh, like 11 hours ago. Like 11 hours ago, that's right. But, uh, no, it's it's the... Uh, in case anybody doesn't know, I'll briefly say that it's uh, directed by Christoph Kieslowski, who's probably best known for the Red, White, and Blue trilogy, Three Colors trilogy, and this was a series of ten films he did for Polish television in 1988. Each one of them is revolved loosely based on one of the Ten Commandments. And uh, what makes this set pretty special is, uh, well, for one thing, they remastered all of them from uh, uh, the the original film elements. And these were uh, in standard definition as well, like you were talking about earlier, but they've somehow gone in and remastered them from the original elements. And there are a couple of them that actually... Uh, were shown theatrically, and they've those versions are here as well, uh, and they're actually in widescreen. So there's a couple of these films that are actually presented in widescreen, as opposed to the four by three. So lots of great documentaries and uh, remembrances from people who worked on them, and it's it's powerful filmmaking. And each one of them runs about an hour. So uh, I would say if if you're a fan of um, great foreign cinema, I would say investigate the Decalogue because it is. If you if you can invest the time and and they're really easy to digest you can you know they're only an hour so you can, if you got thirty minutes here watch half one and watch the other half later and you can, that's the way I've been doing it so it's it's, it's good stuff really mm. powerful I can't uh, wait to watch it yeah it's good very good uh, so we'll move along real quickly with these last couple of titles so we've got the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil the Clint Eastwood film mm-hmm. uh, with Kevin Spacey and uh, Lady in White from Scream Factory. From, uh, I think 1988, and um, we have um, uh, an American Werewolf in London, the 35th anniversary edition. Mm. And uh, I still love that movie. I do too. Yeah, I think it still works. Uh, and the Shape of Things to Come from the 1979 version with Jack Palance. Mm. Uh, I don't remember that being all that good, but. Uh, <laughs> 
Anyway. Yeah, I barely remember that from HBO. Like, just uh, ba- just barely remember seeing the commercials yeah. for it and stuff. For sure. Um, and Private Lessons. Uh, Another HBO mainstay. Yeah, this was a Sylvia Christel and Howard Hessman and directed by Alan Meyerson. And I get this confused with my tutor. I don't know why, but I always yeah. get those two because they both came out about the same time. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, it's one of those sex comedies from the, you know, similar to Last American Virgin, something like that. You know, it's, I get all those. They kind of run together. <laughs> <laughs> my tumor. <laughs> my tumor. My tumor. My tumor. My tutor. We should do that. We should do. We should do parodies of old cable mainstays. Like instead of yeah. my bodyguard, like. My right guard about a stick of deodorant <laughs> or something. <laughs> there were, a, there's enough of them. Trust me, there really are. But uh, if well, Valley of the Dolls. We mentioned Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Well, Criterion also couldn't uh, resist releasing Valley of the Dolls as well. The uh, with Susan Hayward, mm. Patty Duke, of course, and Mark Robson directed and uh, cult classic. It certainly is. Sharon Tate. Yep, Sharon Tate. Yeah. Also. Mm-hmm. God, she was unimaginably beautiful. Oh, yeah. She was. Sharon Tate was yeah, she she certainly was, and looks great in that that film. And then there's two from Douglas Sirk. Uh, two two films on one disc. We have um, um, a scandal in Paris is one of them, and um, the other one is, um, gosh, I'm. Uh, a scandal in Paris is the only one that's listed here. So, uh, but it's a twofer. There's two on the disc, but I'm I'm not seeing the other title. But anyway, if you're a fan of Douglas Sirk, the guy who did Written on the Wind and so many of those other uh, technical or melodramas that were in, that inspired later uh, Far from Heaven, uh, mm-hmm. then you'll uh, you'll you might want to check it out. So, I think that pretty well covers everything for the month of September. I believe. 